there, all you dear listeners. I am your host, Kim Stewart, and I'm here to welcome you to this episode of For Real. Tosca Lee joins us today, and this conversation was straight up joy to me. Tosca is a close friend of many years, and she is a fellow Midwesterner. Clearly, you will love her. She writes the kinds of novels that keep you up way past your bedtime, and her newest, The Long March Home, co-authored with For Real alum Marcus Brotherton, is another page-turner. I'll let her tell you all about it. Lean in and listen to my conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Tosca Lee. Tosca Lee, my dear friend, Tosca Lee, I'm so excited to have you on For Real. Thank you for making time. Of course, I would make time every single day. <laughs> well, you, all, you also know I would just badger you until you <laughs> gave in. So it's not really a fair comparison. Listen, before we say one word, I need to give this disclaimer. The disclaimer is thus. I love you and have counted you as a dear friend for many years. So there will be no cold and objective musings in this conversation, listeners. You're starting mid, mid-stride with a very dear friendship. So that's first. Um, Tosca, I have to ask <laughs> you off, just right off the bat, um, about your status as a baddie. You have long been a baddie in all sorts of realms. Here are a few. You are an accomplished ballet dancer. You torched your academic career at fancy schools out east. You are a beauty pageant queen. Are you hearing me, listeners? You are a New York Times bestselling author. You are a, you're an exceptional cook, and I know that from firsthand experience. I've eaten in your kitchen <laughs> so many nice. times. So what gives, Lee? Were you born a gunner or did you become a gunner? That's my oh, first gosh. question. Okay, first of all, I used to be able to burn water and mess up cereals. So let's <laughs> just be real. <laughs> I think you were being kind by eating the food stuff that I prepared. <laughs> oh, you made the best quiche I've ever had in my life. I've emailed you before and said, teach me your ways. And this is what you say. Oh, just, you know, do a little of this, a little of that. I've seen you in action. There's no recipe. You're one of those. <laughs> I am one of those, but I can't bake. So, you know, let's just, let me just be real about my limitations here. No baking, no singing, no drawing, lots of other things. (laughs) Okay. Well, I won't ask you to sing or bake during this conversation, but did you start like that? Were you always, you know, goal driven or pusher gunner? What do you think? You know, I, I had parents that I was fortunate enough to have parents who believed that, uh, in many points in my life, I wasn't living up to my potential um, and they would push me. And if I didn't get the grades they thought I should get, they would push me. And, you know, today my kids are horrified to hear that if I didn't get an A in something, I might be grounded. <laughs> but today I am. And of course, at the time it was so, you know, it was so unfair. But today I'm so grateful for that kind of parenting, because I was capable of doing certain things and they saw it and they pushed me for that. Other things I'm not so capable at, but um, I owe so much of, of the things that I did in my early life, even the things I really wanted to do. I really wanted to be a professional ballerina. And the day of my very first Nutcracker audition, I was like, oh, <laughs> I think I'm sick. I, I can't go. And my mom was like, get your butt out of bed. <laughs> And I went and You're I got going. the lead. So, oh, you know, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, and, and when I signed up for ballet, I wanted to be a ballerina since I was a little taught 
she took me in and I was like, no, I don't think I feel well. And she's like, you're going. So, you know, thank goodness for it's that saw through, <laughs> saw, saw through the line. You, both of your parents have done this for you. Will you please just tell the story of your dad believing in you with your writing? Because we have lots of people listening who have all sorts of crazy dreams. And some, some of us had people at home who blew oxygen all over that fire and others did not get that starting out, but are now doing that for other people. So tell me about how your dad did that for you. Yeah. So my dad, um, and you know, he always supported this crazy dream of mine to be a classical ballerina, which a lot of, you know, people might've said, you know, uh, get a backup job or, you know, right. whatever. Um, but I went off to college. I, I went to school. Um, I went to Smith and I, I came back for spring break. I'm the only person I know who goes to Nebraska for spring break, but <laughs> there a I desperation was. Move. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> I didn't know any better. Um, came home for spring break, and I was in the car with my dad, and I was talking about great books and how a great book, a novel especially, um, a great books are like roller coasters with their twists and turns, and sometimes there's a loop you didn't see coming, and. I just blurted out that day, you know what, I think I'd like to write a book. And I said that as someone who had enjoyed so many literary roller coasters written by so many wonderful authors. And so the thought was maybe I could craft something like that for another you know, reader to experience. And I blurted that out and my dad said, okay, Tosk, I'll make you a deal. I was supposed to spend that summer working at the bank as a teller. And I was an awful bank teller. Can I just say, not good at math, not good at numbers, can't balance my jaw, don't remember names and faces. <laughs> okay. You weren't ideal. You weren't an ideal pick for that, that was job. was not ideal. Okay. You know, once again, so there we are. Can't do math, can't, you know, all this stuff. So my dad said that day, okay, Tosca, I'll make you a deal. I'll pay you what you would have made working at the bank this summer. If you write your first novel, do it full-time, treat it like a job. And that was a no-brainer. It was a chance to uh, not work at the bank. Yeah, number one. And it was permission, though, most importantly. It was permission to try this thing that I honestly had no idea how to do. And I remember that summer sitting down and thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. But there's been so many times in my life, you mentioned the Mrs. Um, the beauty pageant thing. I used to be Mrs. Nebraska. That only happened because somebody said, yeah, I think you'd be great at this. Go try it. And it was just that one thing of somebody saying, I think you could do this. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, this like door of possibility just opened up that I I never would have considered that before. And it was like, huh. And so you never know when you tell somebody you could do that. Or why don't you try that? Why don't you give it a go? That you could be giving somebody the permission they need to, to, to try something new in life. First of all, your dad is a treasure. I've met him. He's delightful. And also, does that change the way you parent? Because I hear, I've heard that story the first time years ago when we were just getting to know each other and it was magnificent, but my kids were little and the risks were low. There were no (laughs) summer jobs. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm watching my kids navigate different stages. And I think what a remarkable gift that was from your dad to say, no, really, this is a great, actually pretty low low stress, low pressure way for her to see 
if this is something for her. It was brilliant parenting. And I don't know if I have that brilliance. Do you? I don't, I don't know if I do. I have, I haven't seen the opportunity yet. I mean, okay. we've been at the place with our kids, especially after the pandemic mm-hmm. where it's like, um, go get a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, please leave the house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we've had plenty of family time. It's not time yeah, for yeah. you not to have that. <laughs> you can now go do that. You know, life is kind of resumed back to normal. Please go make some money and have experiences and things like that. So I haven't quite had that, but I do like to talk a lot about, you know, what are your dreams? What kind of things would you like to do? And, you know, my mother did this really cool thing. We recently returned from the Galapagos Islands and my, it's because it's not because we plan this fabulous thing. It's because my mother said, when I got married and acquired children, I didn't have children before I married a single father of four. She said, look, here's the deal. I'm not going to send you kids uh, birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, any of that stuff. But when you graduate, I will take you on a trip of your choice. And so we talk about, you know, what's important. And for one of my twins, it was animals and getting to see animals. So we went to the Galapagos and, you know, so I I have parents that I've had great examples from and I, I'm waiting for the opportunity and I hope I don't miss it when it comes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think you will. I think your antenna are up and I think it's because of your parents in part. And they, again, just encourage you in such a beautiful way with a crazy dream, right? They did, You didn't say, I can't wait to sit for my CPA exam. Although thank God for my CPA. Let's say that out loud. No, math, but, no, no, no. Yeah, not, not for us, not for us. Um, <laughs> Talk to me about living on a farm. You mentioned you married Brian, um, who is delightful. Um, I want to see how he got you to get there because I know he's awesome. But the first time I met you, Tosca, we were at the same, I'm, I don't know if you remember this, but this is years ago. This is before we were friends, long before we were actually hanging out. And you were, I think, right. I think we were writing for the same publisher and we were at this meeting um, in Atlanta or Denver or something, we kind of had the oh, booth. It was the convention, the convention that no yeah. longer, I don't think that exists anymore, oh but I walked God. up. I'm fairly sure I was lactating. I was, I'm going to say lumpy. Okay. That's the most <laughs> diplomatic word that I can use for right now. A lot of unfortunate bags in all spots, but especially underneath my eyes. And I stumble in like, it's my first one. I know what I'm doing, what I'm doing. And you are standing in your balletic pose, gorgeous, 12 feet tall, all legs in the most amazing dress and false eyelashes that at the end had like teardrops. Okay. First of all, you might be from Nebraska, but I'm even lower on the totem pole. I am from Iowa. I don't even know if we have false eyelashes here. You looked amazing and still look amazing. And so here's my question. How did Eyelash Girl get wooed to a farm in Nebraska? I have a feeling his name is Brian. (laughs) His name is definitely Brian. So Eyelash Girl got the eyelashes on eBay. (laughs) Obviously, this was uh, pre-menopause too. (laughs) Whatever. You are so gorgeous. Always, always. You know, it's love, man. You know, I... I was single for quite a, a while living in the large metropolis of Lincoln, Nebraska, but there was a Whole Foods and a Trader Joe's within <laughs> proximity. So, and if you would have asked me, would I ever give up Trader Joe's or Whole Foods? I'd be like, Mm-mm. would I no. you know, ever entertain getting married again? No, never. And then I met 
Brian. So if you would have asked me, you know, do you see yourself as a farmer's wife living in the country an hour from Whole Foods as the Insta mom of four? <laughs> not in a, you know, like, a now. <laughs> oh, not in a million years. And so here I am today out in the countryside living in 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 the borough of Nebraska in the farm and um you know getting ready for planting and oh, I love it. I don't do the planting but I, I make the lunches. So. <laughs> Listen, you make a great lunch. Well, I love that. I love your story. I have so loved seeing how you and Brian love each other and how you've created a life together. So, whole foods optional. I think what you're doing is really beautiful. Okay, you are a genre ninja. I've loved them all. <laughs> you have written dystopian fiction biblical fiction is that what we call it yeah biblical, biblical historical like biblical yeah. historical uh would we say fantasy for some of your works i didn't know okay yes that's a yes and now historical <laughs> fiction in your new release with marcus brotherton i have a copy here it's called the long march home i can't wait to talk about this tasca i'm in awe of you because i feel like all that genre jumping requires no small amount of courage. And so I would love to know, do you approach each new genre with a blank slate or what travels with you as you go um, from project to project? Well, first off, you always say such nice things to me. So thank you so much. Can I chat with you again tomorrow? <laughs> you may. And You're also, I'm just honest. Junior high was so hard for me. So I am not very good at not telling the truth, but you can just oh. know all the things I'm saying are absolutely true. You are the kindest, kindest friend. So I, um, you know, here's the thing. I don't like to read the same thing every day. I don't like to eat the same thing every day. I like a greasy cheeseburger and I like sushi. I want some, you know, whatever it is. And I loved writing biblical fiction. It's very challenging. It takes a lot of time, a lot of research. It's so extra in that way. Um, I love writing dystopian because uh, oh, I love a good dystopian survival story where all the noise of the world goes away. And the only thing that matters is survival of you and the people you love. So I love that. I love a good thriller. Uh, there's nothing better than keeping a reader turning pages past the time they're supposed to go to bed or call into work or whatever. Um, you know, I, I love all that. And the the only thing I take from book to book is this idea of climbing fully into a character's shoes. I write a lot in first person. Um, I just, I love getting in there and seeing what's going on and seeing what's, you know, how do you flesh the story out and how do you make this experience full and, and what are the, the interesting moral questions and, um, you know, themes that, that arise from the story. And that's really it. That's it. Well, every one of your books is a page turner. That's why I'm in awe of you because I feel like most folks find something and stick with it. Um, out of fear that if we move a little bit to the right or to the left, we can't, we can't keep the reader. And that has never been an issue for you. I am always up past my bedtime very recently with the long March. Oh, home. Thank you. So I, I am afraid. I should say, I am afraid whenever I go into a okay. book, I've been, I've been so afraid. I, and when I wrote the story about Judas Iscariot, the mm. infamous uh, disciple of, of Jesus, award-winning book about Judas Iscariot <laughs> called Iscariot. Well, that was one of those like mind-blowing moments for me because I went into the full-on ugly girl cry before I wrote that book. I was so scared and panicked, and um, I'm I'm scared. I'm scared a lot before I start, and then there comes a point when you're in so deep and you're you know fully in there and you have no choice but to write your way out. So. Mm. 
Do you feel yeah. more of that fear starting or when the release hits or both? <laughs> I choose both. Both. <laughs> both for sure. I feel very afraid when I start and I, every book I write, I feel like I'm writing a check. I don't know how my body is going to cash, you know, like I've committed to this and I'm not quite sure how this is going to pan out. Um, you know, when I used to, I used to be a pianist and I, I was petrified of performing just terrified. And the worst thing that can happen when you're getting ready to, to, you know, perform or do a concert, I, I had to do a solo concert once I thought I was going to die at the age of 14 and, you know, your hands start shaking and that's just the worst thing. Right. And I remember telling myself once, okay, it's not really now. It's not really now. It's not really now. It's the future. And you're looking back on now. And at some point that is true. And I tell myself that all the time when I write, because it's not really now it's the future. And I'm looking back. And so far I look back on all my books and it is true. Somehow words got on the page, but I am afraid every time. I'm also very nervous when books come out. Um, yeah, but you know, it's because you care and it's because you know people are reading it and um, the reviewers are going to come out and it is, it's scary. Super scary. Yeah. I always feel like I'm walking naked in front of all my high school classmates. <laughs> it does kind of feel like that. Yeah. Only with this body, yeah. not with my high school body. So, um, yeah, no, I hear you. In fact, I'm so glad you're saying that because I feel like sometimes we think that, um, you know, people who have had some success or people even, you know, even debut authors or debut artists that they just have figured it out. And there is a certain amount of fear every single time. In fact, I'm not sure how much of that is external for me. Most of it is internal. Most of it is just thinking, I'm not going to be able to do this. There's no yeah. way I should pick yeah. up macrame. So I'm glad <laughs> to hear you say that too. Um, Tosca, this was fun for me. I researched you. No, no. I don't know that I've ever researched you before you because I could everything. just call you. What is there to research? Oh, it was so great. I went deep on your website, for example. And I love when asked about the worst writing advice you received, you said this. The worst writing advice is write what you know. If I did that, you said I'd be writing about how to watch Hulu on your phone and catch your dog drinking out of the toilet. <laughs> uh, that's magnificent yeah. on every single level. Um, mm -hmm. You are a smart girl to ignore that advice. I've heard that advice a million times. And I know it comes from a good place of like, you know, you don't have to feel like you have to fly to the North Pole in order to enter into the story. I got it. But I think your stories are all the richer for it, that you don't just stick with um, life on the farm, which is a lovely life, but your <laughs> books go lots of different places. And you definitely did not have personal experience, um, with the subject of your captivating new novel, the long March home. And I want to know how did you approach writing a book set in the Philippines during the second world war? Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, there's a lot of survivor accounts. Of, so the, the long March home is the story of three best friends, um, they're serving in the Philippines, uh, they're in the army and Pearl Harbor's attacked. They are plunged into war. I, I didn't know that. I, I did not know the history of the Pacific theater during that time. I didn't know that just hours after the events of Pearl Harbor, the Philippines was attacked. And there's this, this war that raged on up until April when the largest, uh, U S surrender happened. And, all the the allied uh, troops, Filipino and American, um, were marched these 60 some miles uh, 
to a POW camp without food or water in these horrible conditions in what's been become known as the Bataan Death March. I did not know about this chapter of history. So for me, you know, I approached it like I approach everything else. I start real pedestrian and I just start reading things. But um, I, I read survivor accounts that are just um, they're horrendous on one on one side. And then on the other side, you think to yourself, what is it that causes people to be able to survive the things that they're describing? Because they should not have been survivable. And um, it was eye opening. It was jaw dropping. It was horrifying. Um, and it was also inspiring because all those accounts were a, a testament to um, faith, faith was a huge thing. Friendship, those who survived often had friends who were helping to look out for them. Um, just the, the will to continue to go on. And for, for many, that wasn't enough, you know, for many, they still succumbed, um, because the conditions were horrible, but in the end, it, it's all about faith, friendship, hope. Um, so I read a lot and, uh, researched a lot and, um, that's that's how I, I got into that. And the whole reason I entered this story is because my friend, Marcus Brotherton, had been working on this manuscript for quite some time, I think seven years. And by the time he contacted me, he said, you know, I think, um, you know, I could really use your help on this. Let's let's go in and let's make this story. I had some other books to do in the meantime, but also I went through this creative shutdown during the pandemic. We were renovating our house. I was trying to work out of the bedroom. Um, the world was weird and nothing happened for me creatively for a long time. And I, I felt really bad about myself. I beat myself up a lot for about almost two years, finally was able to re-engage. And so this was a five-year process on my end. So this is 12 years total that this book has been, uh, in the works. So wow. that's a little bit about that. Yeah. How do you know when you're ready to stop researching and start writing? <sighs> that is really hard. It's hard to stop because there's always something more and the research right. can feel like a security blanket. Right. Um, I think it's important to remember the research is always there at your fingertips. You can always check the book, you know, the books. And we had, you know, lots of books we were using as references that contained survivor accounts and rich details, things like that. You can always go back and look, but at the end of the day, novel writing, stories, um, they remind us that we're not different, that we're all the same. And so at the end of the day, you're telling stories of relationships and humans and hopes and dreams and betrayals and all that stuff that is not unique it's just the setting and the circumstances that change and so that's the part that carries you through yeah. hey everybody did you know that you really should be on my email list this email list is not a bummer list i know you understand what i'm saying here bummer lists crowd your inbox they say the same thing every dang time and they give you very little in way of inspiration or joy well, let me just assure you, I have no interest in bummers and that I do not email unless I have a good reason for Pete's sake. I send you links to fun things, announcements about stuff you actually care about, even recipes that have helped the Stewart family live to see another day and which taste delicious. Here's another perk. If you join the list, you get a free book. No kidding. 
I wrote that book, so I get to do with it what I want. Just text Kim to 44144. That's K-I-M to the number 44144. And I'll send you a Kimberly Stewart novel straight to your not-a-bummer inbox. Easy, fast, and fun! If only all of life were like this. And now, my friends, back to the conversation. You mentioned Marcus Brotherton, who was a lovely guest last season on For Real. I need you to spill the tea. It's just us. No one's listening. Mm -hmm. How in the world do you co-write a novel? This is Mm -hmm. fascinating to me because I have control issues. So I want to (laughs) know, how did you do it? Like, do you divide by chapter? Did you storm out of a lot of Zoom meetings crying? I mean, I'm just projecting (laughs) here, but, and Marcus is lovely, like the loveliest of the lovely. So great. This is not a question about him. This is a question about the process. How did it work? You know, this is my second co-authorship and they're oh, both right. different. And I know the first a lot of people with, who, Ted Decker, with Ted right? Decker. Right. And okay. I know a lot of co-authoring partnerships. And from what I can tell, everybody does it different. So um, with Marcus, you know, he had a draft and he's like, here you go. Um, you know, dive in. Okay. So he had a completed manuscript. And I was like, this is mine now. Yep. <laughs> so, I'll call you, you know, later. <laughs> well, and then it sat on my desk for quite a while too, in between. And I was still thinking, I'm still researching, I'm still making notes, all this stuff. And we jumped on the phone a lot. You know, we would chat, we emailed a lot. We never, I don't think we had our first Zoom. Like I'd never seen like a picture of his face moving, you know, like animated until <laughs> we sold the book and we were what? on. Yeah, we were on a Zoom call with the editor and marketing person and publicist and the people at our new publisher. Amazing. And I only met him for the first and only time in person last October at the publishers when they flew us in for meetings. So I was like, huh, you're real. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. A lot of back and forth. And, you know, at the end, when we're, we're polishing this thing up and we're, you know, we're going through it. You know, he had some things where he said, these are non-negotiables for me. And I'm like, yeah, I, I respect that. And I said, here's a couple, you know, th- non-negotiables for me. And so we honored those things. Everything else was basically on the table. And, you know, we talked through things and um, Marcus is very easy to get along with. Right. You know, he's, yeah. he's him, not so a I diva. Mean, he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not a diva. He's very easy to get along with and he's very cerebral. So, Yeah. Good. Well, it worked. Whatever you did, whatever, whatever spices in the chili you worked. Um, And listen, I cried my eyes out with this book. I will not say yes. Oh, I mean, sorry. No. Did you just do a fist pump? I think you did. Um, I I won't say where in the book. I won't say when, and I'm not going to say if they were happy or sad tears, because one thing I despise in this life is a spoiler. I don't even Mm. read back cover copy. I'm so Mm. serious about the book being a completely blank adventure for me. But Mm. on multiple occasions, I had to stop reading because the words were too blurry. You, dear Tosca, are the one who taught me one of my favorite, very favorite lessons about writing and one which I repeat all the time to anyone listening. You said one of our most important jobs as writers is to help people feel something. Mission accomplished with this book. 
And I'm wondering, was it emotional to write as well? Oh gosh. Yeah. I cry when I write. I mean, you can't help it. I feel like, I feel like, especially because I, you know, I enjoy first person a lot because it's so intimate and I feel like it's your, your role-playing, your method acting, you're, you're, you're not yourself anymore. You're that person. And, and it's very emotional. It's very emotional. And this is, it's a war story. So, you know, there's horrible stuff that happens, but we also have a dual timeline. So we show these boys, these friends becoming close, growing up, coming of age. And so, you know, there's, there's chuckles too. There's other things too. Yes, absolutely. I loved the two different time zones. That was, that endeared me to all of the characters. And also I find that too much suffering or hardship um, is just too hard for the reader. I mean, at some point you have to have a deep breath where you kind of move out of that space and then you can enter in again. And I think those two parallel, um, time frames was such a help for that. And you did it, did it so well. Um, there were some times when I would be reading and I think, I think that was Tosca's sentence. <laughs> I know you better. <laughs> you know me Not too sure well. if that's true, but, um, <laughs> Um, okay. Well, a couple last questions before I let you get back to the farm. Um, we have, at, we've talked, you and I have talked to and our dear friend, Nicole Bart. We've all had lots of conversations about navigating the business oh, yeah. of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that writing is really only part of the gig in addition to all the work of getting one's books into the hands of readers. So I would love to hear what you have to say at this point, after a slew of books, mm-hmm. what's the secret to longevity in this very strange business? not knowing when to give up (laughs) (laughs) stubbornness (laughs) you know um I think one of the valuable things that I took out of my early aspirations of wanting to be a ballerina is that you know you you keep going you it's a discipline it's a it's a it's a discipline it's a part of your life it's a practice and I think writing is that way and I think I think in addition to that you have to know your why you need to know why am I writing and the the few times where I've really lost my way, I lost my why. Uh, that'll so, preach for absolutely every yeah, endeavor. You have mm-hmm. to have your why. And that will sustain you. And that will sustain you through the publishing stuff, through, you know, whether the money's coming in or not. We, it'll sustain you through the, the tough times when you get a bad review or or whatever. And the why, you know, for me, a big part of the why has to do with readers because you're providing a service to your readers and it took me a long time to figure that out because I thought, you know, I'm making stuff up. How am I providing a service? I'm I'm making this thing and they're buying it, right? But readers want to be inspired. They want to be transported. And they they want to enjoy the power of story. And I want to to help them have that. And so that is the service that I provide. Um, and it's important. We've all needed that. We've all needed an escape, whether we're going through something difficult or some, you know, aging parents or a, a difficult divorce or a tough time, challenges with kids, whatever it is. Or we're on vacation and we're already escaped and we want to escape some more. You know, we want to live vicariously and we want to experience the world and understand empathy for other people. And I think I think it's it's an important job that we do as writers, whether we're writing. Um, nonfiction or we're writing the lie that tells the truth, which is what I like to call fiction. So 
I think knowing your why is the whole reason. And if you don't have the why anymore, and if it's not there, then that's okay. Nobody said that you have to keep doing it. You're, you know, and there may be a time when I'm not still doing this because the why might change, right? Well, I sure hope not. I will stage an intervention (laughs) if you decide decide that because I just love your stories. I love your writing. I love your brain and your heart and your spirit. I just love it all. So thank you for writing this fantastic book, The Long March Home. I think it's available for pre-order. We'll put all that information in the show notes. But before I let you go, I need to ask you a question that I ask of all of our guests. Um, I know that you are a reader a consummate reader, um, across genre, across all sorts of, um, time. And I love that. I always take your book recommendations very seriously. So now I'd love for you to share those with listeners. It's a two-parter, this question. First part is what is a book that you find yourself recommending over and over across the years? We are fans of the backlist. Um, and number two, what is a book that you're excited to read or that's on your, on your radar that you haven't tucked into yet? Hmm. Well, a book on my backlist that was um, inspired me creatively and inspired me as, as a writer that I read over and over is The Red Tent. And it's biblical fiction. Um, it's Anita Diamant is the author, and she took this little tiny passage in the Bible and she blew it out into this whole story. And it's rich and beautiful, and the language is sumptuous. And it's the kind of book that you know, when you open a book and you read the first sentence and you think, I'll just see what this is like. And, you know, if you don't like it, you close it and you go on. I read the first sentence and I, and I thought, oh, the first sentence is that kind of sentence. And the first paragraph is that kind of like, you know, breath. It's just, it's that beautiful and it draws you in. And, and I'm so envious and so jealous <laughs> of her as an author for this ability to have written such beautiful prose. So The Red Tent is is one that I I recommend over and over and over. A great book. Great recommendation. Mm -hmm. What about what you're looking forward to? Um, I'm reading some thrillers by some international thriller writer um, authors. Um, I serve on the board for them. And so I'm I'm lucky enough to get to kind of see what's coming out. And, hey. and so I'm I'm excited about so many thrillers these days. Um, I, I'm reading a friend of mine, uh, Andrew Kaplan's Scorpion Winter right now. Okay. Um, you know, so you meet people and, and these it's it's fun to read books by authors you've totally. met. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so say that again, the Scorpion Winter. Scorpion Winter by Andrew Kaplan. I, okay. well, I got it right here. He sent me. Okay, good, good, good. Page turner. Okay, fantastic. Well, Tosca, thank you for joining me. It is my total delight to get to have this time with you. And typically when we have time together, I'm forcing you to cook for me. So hope this You're is not a forcing me. I'm not cooking for you. <laughs> <laughs> you say hello to Brian and your kiddos and Timber, your magnificent dog. Um, and Godspeed as you talk about this beautiful book. Thank you for writing it and thank you for your time. Thank you so much. what Tosca said about fiction. Did you hear that? That it's the lie that tells the truth. I have found the same darn thing, that stories that start in our heads and center around totally made up people end up telling all these beautiful universal truths about real life. Stories matter. Your stories matter. 
That's it for today. But before I let you go, I need to make a plea for sharing this episode with the folks in your orbit. Share, review, rate, pretty please, so that we can help others find out what we're up to over here in this corner of the pod space. And come back soon. We will be here with lots of space at the table, ready to chat about all the stories you're living and telling, and ready to remain curious together. For real.